Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus, and as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought! that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. No portion. The audio. I'm, I'm actually audio recording this later for the podcast as well. And uh, Pastor Bill, good to have you watching us today. And uh, so the audio is always available on the podcast at a later time. Like I said, I got last week's up yesterday. Well, let's open our Bibles if you have them. Let's open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Now this is, if you're just joining us and you haven't been with us before, this is, this is a verse-by-verse Bible study. We're not going to get into a hurry. In fact, we're only going to look at four verses today. The first four verses of the Gospel of Luke are called the prologue. These are the introductory comments that Luke makes to talk about what it is he's writing and who it is he's writing to. There's some really important thoughts here that we want to make sure we absorb before we just jump in. Now, chapter one is going to have a few parts to it because as soon as we hit verse five, next week we'll look, we'll start at verse five next week. And, and we're gonna be looking, uh, it's a long chapter. It's actually 80 verses. And through that, we, we get the, the story of the, the birth narrative of Jesus and as well the Annunciation to Mary, the birth narrative of Jesus. We get the story of Elizabeth and the uh, the Annunciation that's made to her and Zacharias about the birth of their son, John the Baptist. So we go through all of that. Included in chapter one are two of the three big hymns or songs, praise songs, if you will, uh, that come out of the Gospel of Luke, Mary's song and Zacharias' song. These two songs, Mary's is often called by its Latin name, the Magnificat, which means Mary's song of praise. And then also Zechariah's song, which is often, you know, it, it, it's often, it's a song called the Benedictus, I think is the name in Latin, the Benedictus. Uh, because it's, it's like a blessing, it's like a benediction. And, and so those are recorded, there's, a, there's just a lot in the first chapter. But before we jump into all that, because I don't want to break it up too much, we'll, we'll start with just the first four verses. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read, as I typically do, from the Revised Standard Version. Uh, that is what is printed in this book. I'm going to show it again to you. It's called The Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. Um, I'm a little bit ADD. I can't remember if I finished my story about... I'll give a shout-out to Scott Spradlin because... He actually uh, threw up a, shared my post and made a post and said that uh, his friend and colleague, 
pastoral counselor Brad Riley uh, was going to be streaming Bible study live, and he made a comment there. It said, uh, Brad's a Catholic slash ortho slash Nazarene, uh, which is, or something like that. Laugh, funny face. Um, a good friend of mine coined a name for me many a decade ago. Uh, who's a, He's a Roman Catholic, a dear friend of mine, and uh, he, he coined a name for me called, I'm an Orthocatherine, he said. Part Orthodox, part Catholic, part Nazarene. And I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. I just love it. I think there's beauty in our body of Christ in all of its parts. Yeah, you know, I am an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene, but there's beauty in all of it. So thanks to my buddy Scott and colleague for that shout out. Let's turn our hearts now to the prologue of the Gospel of Luke. Verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so just four verses. Uh, why am I reading the Revised Standard Version? Some of you are thinking, hi, Ruth. I see that Ruth joined us. Some of you are probably thinking, that's an old version of the Bible. Why do you use that, Brad? Well, I have all kinds of versions. I have a New King James sitting here in front of me. Um, but it is, like I said, included in this book, the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. Uh, this is a, just an incredible resource. They chose it. The scholars, many scholars, the scholars certainly at IVP Press, chose it because the, the Revised Standard Version is considered one of the most literal and scholarly versions. Not the new Revised Standard Version, that's the old Revised Standard Version. One of the most literal scholarly versions that has that literal format so that if you're going to study parallel with English and Greek, you can really get the phraseology there in the order it was intended as, as best you can in an English translation. So whatever version you're reading, you might hear some different words from what I'm reading, and we're going to call attention to those as we go along. Because one of the things I love to do is call attention to some of the Greek that's here. Because the Greek words, the scripture was first, the New Testament's written in Greek first. It was, it was, a, it was a, a culture that spoke Greek. Greek was the language of commerce. And it was the written language, certainly, in the language of scholars. And Luke's Greek that he uses is the best in the New Testament. Uh, Luke, as a physician, we know that from scriptures where he's mentioned in scripture. He's a physician that, a physician that traveled with the Apostle Paul. Um, and he's praised highly by the churches for his gospel, if you will, uh, his teachings. Luke's Greek is among the best. So we're, we're hearing from a scholar here this morning as we read from from Dr. Luke. And so one of the most important Greek words that I want to point out to you in this passage is this word, Theophilus. If we ask the question, who is this gospel written to? Luke tells us right there in verse 3, I'm writing these things to you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a Greek name. It's a Greek name comprised of two words, Theos and Philos, or Philos, however you want to say it. Theos and Philos, which Theos is God, Philos is love, or the brotherly form of love, kind of like in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. 
So lover of God or friend of God sometimes said. Um, that's this Theophilus' name. So he's a Greek. He's a Gentile. And we know that he's also a fairly new believer because Luke is being very careful to set this writing in order for him that he may know some things for certain. I'll get into that in a few more verses. So we know he's a fairly new believer, but we also know that he's a very important figure in the culture. We don't know his exact role. He could be a Roman army officer. He could be in the government, uh, a politician. But when Luke uses this salutation called uh, most excellent in our English, and I have, uh, <clears throat> I have that in my notes. Uh, it's in uh, verse 4 when he uses that. It's kratistos in Greek. Kratistos. Okay, K-R-A-T-I-S-T-O-S. Kratistos. We know that that is the addressing of a governor or a nobleman or somebody like that. Uh, Pastor Darren, good to have you join us. Beverly, I'm so glad you're here. Um, but that Paul uses that word. The other two places we find that word is in the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul is addressing Felix and Festus, both governors. Uh, and so he calls them with that same word, Christistos. So it's a very important word. Noble, a nobleman of most important is this Theophilus. Why is that important to us? Well, it's important to us because Luke's gospel, as we mentioned last week, is a gospel that is written especially to the Gentile world. It's the gospel for everyone. And, and he wants this Gentile, very important Gentile who has a community around him, clearly, uh, followers, people. All of us have a community. Every one of us is influencing someone else. So remember that. You're not just your faith and however it's expressed in your life isn't just a solitary thing. It's being expressed. Other people are observing you and your faith. And so obviously the higher profile the person, the more people are noticing. Uh, we can think in our common day of things like, I think one of the most famous uh, kind of exciting to me, uh, one of the most famous exciting uh, conversion stories, if you will, has been Kanye West. I mean, a few years ago, who would have thought Kanye West would be singing the gospel of Jesus? I mean, that's kind of exciting to me. But around Kanye is a whole nother group of followers, a community that's had to stop back and look at him and see, hmm, is this real in his life? And if it is real, wow, look at the change. So, uh, you know, I pray it's real. I, we don't want to be judgmental about anybody, but I love some of the stuff he's saying and doing, that's for sure. Um, but uh, Jerry, good to have you. Thanks for joining us today. But I, I want to hone in on this thought of who this is written to. This is written to Theophilus. As is the book of Acts, it's kind of one long letter, but it's also written to you and I. Who are we? We're Gentile believers. Many of us, uh, new believers, maybe. We, maybe we've been in the church all of our lives. Guess what? We're still new believers. We never exhaust the gospel. We never come to the most mature platform of faith. In fact, our whole journey is to become as mature as possible in the faith, to be so filled with the Spirit of God that moment by moment, day by day, we can live into our being with God as beacons of God in this community. So uh, this is written to us. Uh, 
Think about the people around you that you want to influence for the gospel, whether that's family, friend, co-worker, neighbor. Uh, they're looking to you. You are, you are Theophilus to them. You're important to them. And so Luke makes it very clear here that he wants, he wants to make sure that this account of the gospel gets, gets it straight. Now, it's not that the others aren't right, Okay, there really is, some of the ancient church fathers uh, talk about this idea that there's really only one gospel, and it's told in four different narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, I have some notes here from the early Christian uh, father, Origen. Origen lived in the early 200s, okay? And most of his writing was in the early 200s. He was from the school of Alexandria uh, in, in Egypt. But Origen, it gets a lot of bad press later in his life he was he was uh, some of his writings led into some thoughts on universalism you know that everyone is saved and and while we don't endorse that thought of universalism unless you're just talking about the love of God because that's universal everyone is loved um, Origen has a lot of good stuff to say and he talks right here specifically in this uh, ancient Christian commentary he says some things like this he says with respect to the New Testament also, many have tried to write Gospels, but not all found acceptance. Uh, Sylvia, thanks for, for coming in. It's good to see you. So he's telling us right there, there are many Gospels out there, but not all of them were accepted. Very many were composed, he says. Uh, but the Gospels we have, we, meaning the church, he's representing the church in the, in the early 200s years, we've chosen from among these Gospels and then passed on to the church is. He says, we know this from Luke's own prologues, origins mentioning Luke's prologue that we're studying today, which begins this way, and then he quotes Luke's prologue where it says, because many have tried to compose an account. See, Luke, we read here, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, okay, an account, if you will. So I want to talk about that, that word narrative. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute that narration that Luke's talking. But, but coming back to origin, he says, because many have tried, implies an accusation that many didn't really succeed. They rushed into it without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were really, uh, and we, we know that. He goes on to say that uh, we know of only one gospel uh, written by the grace of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he says, uh, all of our doctrines on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ should be drawn from these approved gospels. He says, uh, I know of one gospel called according to Thomas. I know of another called according to Matthias. We've read many others. So here Origen is saying, I've actually read those books. You know, the gospel of Thomas is one we've probably all heard of. It's the last 20 years or so, it's been rediscovered by these new wave of uh, Gnostics in, our, in the world today. You know, the Gnostics, the gospel of Gnosticism, which was a big problem, a heresy the church had to fight against. That was the thought that Gnosticism is a, is a multi-layered thing, but in general, just to tell it to you really quickly here, it was, it was from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. The idea was that true faith required special knowledge, and only some people had that special knowledge. And if you had that special knowledge, what you really understood as a Gnostic was that the only thing that mattered was the spiritual knowledge. Physical world, and this was a big part of Greek culture, physical world didn't matter. They actually thought the body was evil. 
and the physical world was evil. That 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 actually uh, things like death freed you from the evil. Uh, so that's getting down a road we don't have time to go down. But I wanted you to know that many of those other gospels that Origen's talking about, they're they're false gospels. Clearly, he says we. It's our testimony by the year two hundred and twenty-five or whenever he's writing this. It's his testimony when he says the colloquial we, the churches, we know of only four Gospels. So you can have confidence that the best minds of the first few hundred years of Christian thought chose these four Gospels to be a part of the canon of the New Testament. So what is this that so many have tried to do? Well, Luke calls it a narrative. He says, so many have had, verse one, so many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things. Now that Greek word, let's take a look at that Greek word because it's, it's pronounced... Uh, diagesis, and forgive me again, I always butcher the Greek, diagesis, okay, it's D-I-E-G-E-S-I-S. My daughter Brooks just checked in, and she's probably laughing right now, uh, because she's a Greek student at how I butcher the Greek, but uh, diagosis means not just a narrative or story, it actually means a complete, full accounting. That's what that word means in Greek. A complete and full accounting. So what is Luke telling us when he chooses that word to write with here? We don't always get that when we're just reading English, do we? That's why the Greek is so important. And he says, he says we want to compile, for Theophilus, he wants to compile a complete, full account. Now, while he's using things like Mark, probably, as his main source, the Gospel of Mark, and, and maybe even he's read Matthew, we don't know for sure, but the reality is uh, he's looked at all these others too and he knows there's some things missing. Mark especially, Mark's a very short gospel. It's a very straightforward gospel. As we start next week into the birth narrative, it's, it's not even there in Mark's gospel. So Luke has a lot to say for the gospel and the Holy Spirit wants to use Luke. Luke has been, as we're gonna talk about in just a few minutes, he's been there since almost the beginning. Uh, not quite an eyewitness, but certainly an eyewitness of the eyewitnesses. Uh, and so he's actually, uh, he, he's got a lot to say for the gospel that, that hasn't been recorded. And, and these new believers, especially the Gentile world, they need to hear it. They need to know it. And we need to hear it. We need to know it. That's why I'm so excited. I'm so pumped up to study the gospel of Luke with you. It, it's such a great gospel. Um, so a complete full accounting is what he means in verse 1. He says, of the things which have been accomplished among us. So there's a lot. Pam, hi, nice to see you joining us. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been, this isn't just a knowledge that everybody's subscribed to, like the Gnostics said. It's not just some secret knowledge. Hey, if you're a Christian, you have this secret knowledge. This is something that's been accomplished. So it's a physical, uh, tangible work in this world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a physical, tangible, seen, felt, heard thing, and I'll talk a little bit more about that towards the ending, about this idea of seen and heard, seen versus heard, and, and, and it, it's, it's been accomplished. He goes on to say in verse 2, just as they were delivered to us, who's us? He's talking about him, probably, the people that are with him, uh, the people that traveled with the Apostle Paul, he traveled with Paul, that were delivered to us by those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. We kind of get the, the word eyewitnesses. We know what that is. That is, uh, that is the Greek word, uh, 
autoptes, autoptes, I think is the way you say it, A-U-T-O-P-T-E-S, uh, autoptes. And it, it is, in a, in a sense, it, it's a word that means not just eyewitness, not just that you saw something, but it means an appearing. Okay, it means an appearing. So that's very important. In, in the verb form of the same word, if you follow the verb form, it's actually used in Acts chapter 1. Luke uses the only two, only two places this word is used in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Luke's using it as a noun. These were eyewitnesses. Okay, but in chapter 1 he uses it of Acts, he uses it as a verb. These, this is something, there's what wasn't appearing. Okay, so he's leading up to something here. He's talking about this idea of the gospel being seen and heard, okay? So now, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. I want to I come into that phrase right there, ministers of the word. First of all, as I told you last week, whenever we're reading the New Testament, when we see the word, word, think Jesus. Always think Jesus. Almost all the time in the New Testament, the word, word is translated from the Greek word, logos, in one form or another, it's logos. And here it's, it's uh, logon, okay? Now, why is that important? Because that's the word John tells us is the word meaning Christ as the very mind and words of God. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, finished that study last year, go back and listen to the podcast. It's such a powerful chapter. You know, in the beginning was the logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. The thought, the mind, the very, uh, the very God Himself in the form of man, in the incarnation, okay, in the form of human flesh, so that we can relate to Him and He can uh, appear to us, if you will. So it says that these eyewitnesses were ministers of the Word. Not just people that knew something, that knew the gospel, that knew the message of salvation. Pastor Cecil, great to have you with us today. Chip, hey, thanks for joining us. But they ministered, what's that word? That word minister, sometimes, we're used to that word in the gospel, in the, in the New Testament, usually is the Greek word diakonos. We get the word deacon, uh, a servant, okay? Your version might say servant of the word there in, in verse 2. But, but literally, the word in the Greek here is, is, uh, is the word huperites, huperites, okay? H-U-P-E-R-E-T-E-S, huperites. Now, that word doesn't just mean servant, like a waiter on a table, okay? It means an officer, an officer servant. So it's somebody who has credentials. It's somebody who has a commission, if you will, who has been commissioned to go out and serve others. There's, there's, the, there's, there's our role. That's the role the apostles filled. That's the role the, the 70, you know, when Jesus sent out the 70, the word apostolos in Greek, the, to be sent. It's people with a commission. So these are ministers of the word. These eyewitnesses, these apostles, they were ministers. They were officers of the gospel of Jesus Christ serving Jesus Christ by doing, okay? Not just through their knowledge. They weren't just sitting at a table or sitting in a, in a synagogue somewhere and just talking. They were doing. The gospel was seen and felt in action. 
the love of God being poured out through these early Christians, through these apostles, not just teachers. I, I think this is so important. We can't just run by it. This is the difference between Christian, the Christian gospel and all other religions. There are many religions. They're called great religions of the world. You know, Islam, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Confucianism. All, there's so many, but there's, there's like six what are called pillars of, of religious thought, if you will. The big difference between them all is that Christianity isn't just a thought. It isn't just something to be believed. It is a way of life to be lived because one is truly Christian when one is serving as an officer sent out by the Lord himself. Serving through love. The gospel is love. So, wow, there's so much there in these first two verses uh, that we you can see why I didn't want to just run by them here. Um, now, <clears throat> Luke transitions here and he says uh, he says it seemed good to me also obviously it seemed good to mark it seemed good to matthew it seemed good to all these people who want to write these gospels these accounts of jesus life but he said you know it seemed good to me also because i think it's so important to note that luke he was not satisfied with the gospel of mark not that there's anything wrong with the gospel of mark obviously the church adopted it it's, it's beautiful but he wasn't satisfied with that. He went deeper. He said, there's too much more God has shown me. I think that's a lesson for all of us. Um, true faith is not something that is just accepted. It, it's something that is that we dig for and we search for and we know it personally. And that's what Luke did because he said, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. So what is Luke doing? Luke is saying, I've been looking at this for a long time. I was two years in prison with Paul. I've been traveling with him all over the world. I have seen this guy. I was, we don't know exactly when Luke got connected. We know that he was a physician from scripture. We know that he was with the travels of Paul and he, Paul would send him off with others like Titus. And like we know that he was from the area of Syria, probably from Antioch. We know that, that by his uh, origin, a place of origin, uh, so that makes him a Gentile. We know that he was, uh, was this incredibly scholarly person by how well he writes and how beautifully he writes. And he's saying right here, I've been digging into this. That's why he's called Luke sometimes the, the historian. Hey, my brother Brian Arner, so good to have you with us, Brian. Uh, so Luke is this historian, but he's more than that. He's, he's a physician. He's an he's a, he's a, uh, apostle. He's been sent out too. He is this amazing writer, this amazing storyteller. And he's saying, I've been looking at this for a long time and it seemed good to me that I need to write this down for you because I want to give you an orderly account. He says, an orderly account. And you look at my notes here because I think I got a, a thought on this. Verse three, that phrase in, in this version where he says, I've been looking at this from some, for some time past, Luke said. Here's what's interesting. Almost everyone with scholar will tell you that Luke was not with the apostles from the beginning, that he was not with Jesus, you know. He probably wasn't part of that first group of, because he was from up in Antioch, he probably wasn't part of that very first group that started following Jesus and the disciples around Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee. 
but Luke must have come in from almost the beginning. Because the word that he uses here, even though the English translation here says for some time past, when we look this up in the Greek, the word that is used there is a word called anothen, anothen. I'm not sure where the accent goes, but anothen. A-N-O-T-H-E-N, anothen, okay? What does that word mean? It literally means from the beginning. It, it means uh, from the beginning, Luke was there. When that word is used in, in scripture, where, when, when it says the veil was torn from top to bottom, that's the word, the Greek word that's used for the top, from the beginning. So Luke is saying, I've been looking at this from the beginning. So he was very early. In his own mind, he felt like he was part of the beginning uh, of the gospel movement. So, uh, and, he, and he wants to write an orderly account. Okay, he wants to write an orderly account uh, to this wonderful friend of his. Clearly, he's a friend of his, Theophilus. This, he saw in Theophilus, now, this, this lover of God, if you will. I throw that in just real quickly, that word Theophilus, as we talked about a little earlier, I can't remember if I made the point. It, I made it last week, but I'm going to make it again this week unless you missed it. That Greek word, lover of God, Theophilus, there's a sense in which Luke is writing that, and the Holy Spirit just ordained all this, you know, that interesting that this gospel for the world, this gospel for the Gentiles was written to a guy whose name literally meant whoever loves God. Whoever loves God, this gospel's for you. The Gospel of Luke. So, if you're like me, you love God. Uh, you're 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 a, a Gentile. I don't think I have any Jewish listeners here today, but but we might, uh, and we might someday. You know, Matthew's Gospel has a special slant on all things Jewish and the Messiah. And I love that too. Uh, but this is a special Gospel for us. So we're going to have a great time working through this Gospel. Now, he wrote this orderly account for Theophilus. Uh, and in verse four, he says something really, really important. So as we come down to our last verse today, really important. He says that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you've been informed. So clearly he's been informed of the gospel Theophilus has. He's a believer, but like all the churches and all the believers, I mean, there was always an anti-gospel being preached, it seemed like, from the beginning. There were all these heresies. There were all these challenges to the faith. And it was important that Luke make an account of certainty. Now, that word, certainty, okay, that, that we see translated in this version that says that you may know the truth. In fact, mine is just says truth. It's the word truth right there, okay? So you look it up in the Greek, and that word, sometimes yours might say with certainty, okay? That word literally, it's, it's asphalia, asphalia. It's used three times in the, in the New Testament. Once right here. It's used also in Acts chapter 5, okay? When the apostles were all imprisoned and they were, they were made a note there that the doors were locked for sure, for certain. And this word asphalia, and then it's used again in 1 Thessalonians, which we just finished that study. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, but the idea here is that the word means the exact truth. What Luke wants to give to Theophilus, what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give to us in this Bible study, is if we will take the time, do the due diligence to really get into the word here and look at these original texts and Greek texts and meanings and these early church fathers and the thoughts that they had, 
what Luke is giving is the exact truth. Because we know it's not Luke's thoughts, it's the Holy Spirit's thoughts. And it's the exact truth you and I need in this world. It's the exact truth that our friends need in this world. There, there are so many people in our world today. Do you realize we are almost back? I, th I think we've come full circle. We're almost back to the first century. Um, boy, in more ways than one, now that we're all quarantined in, in a way, and, and this what's going on. And I say that we're almost back there is because we now, the gospel was born into this world in the birth of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about next week. The gospel was born into this world at just the right time, and it was at a time, in, because God's knowledge at the right time, he knew the world was a plethora of, it was a pluralistic, it was as pluralistic society as there ever had been. And it was into that milieu of pluralism, anything goes, that Christ was born to teach and to show and to live that it's not true that anything goes. There is a way, there is a truth, there is a life, and that is Jesus. It's the life he lived, it's the truth he taught, it's the way he walked. That's our model. That's what Luke's gonna show us in this gospel. And we're back there today because we're in a very pluralistic society. We are no longer, if we ever were a Christian nation, I, I don't know, there's scholars that argue we never were, that, that we're maybe a godly nation, but not a Christian nation. I don't wanna get into all the politics of that. But if we ever were, we are not much today because we are, I mean, Christianity is just as snubbed and fact, not openly persecuted, but it's getting there. Certainly in the media, it's persecuted and looked down upon. Interestingly enough, except in times of crisis, all of a sudden when there's crisis, we start hearing this appeal to prayer and this appeal to God, whoever that is, people think, to, like back on 9-11, those, these two times. So today, there is this coronavirus, this pandemic sweeping our world. And there is a beginning to see a turning back to something that's transcendent, a truth. And that's the gospel. You and I know that's the gospel. And this idea that there's something outside of us that could save us from this virus, if you will, from this uh, virus of sin, if you will. We know that's Jesus. And the world is looking, the world is watching, the world is waiting for us to live that out. That's why I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, I miss my classroom. Uh, I miss my classroom where I could teach this Bible study as I have for the last five or six years. But I am pumped up that I've got some of my good friends that are pastors and evangelists and friends and people from all over the country on this Facebook Live. I wasn't doing that before. I don't know why, just didn't do it in the class, didn't, didn't do it till I had to. But now in, the, in God's economy, I love that Greek word, economia, in God's economy, there's always a way. There's always a way to share the gospel and the good news. And so as we round out these first four verses, I, I kind of have a little closing thought here I wanted to share with you. Uh, Ambrose, St. Ambrose of Milan, a bishop of the church in Milan, Italy, in the 300s or 4th century, I think. Uh, prolific writer, incredible writer. Ambrose has some words here about this idea of ministering the word. And I want to close with this thought today. I don't know how long I've gone today, about 40, 40 minutes, 43. Um, here's some thoughts from Ambrose. I want you to listen to him, then we'll just comment briefly on 
He says that the ministry of the word is greater than the hearing of it. I think I could preach a sermon just on that sentence right there. Wow. But I won't. Don't worry. Uh, The ministry of the word is greater than the hearing of it. Not the spoken word, but the essential word is meant here. He's referring to Luke's, he's commentating on Luke's gospel here. Um, The essential word, that which was made flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, he's talking about Jesus. So do not understand it as the common word, but as the celestial word to whom the apostles ministered. And then he he draws an analogy back from the book of Exodus here uh, and the, the words of Moses. This is pretty amazing. For the one who reads in Exodus that the people saw the voice of the Lord. He's quoting Exodus in, uh, let's see the reference, it's chapter 20, if you want to go look it up. He says, for the one who the people saw the voice of the Lord, yet truly a voice is not seen, but it's heard. That's, it's an odd way of phrasing it. Moses chose to say, people saw the voice of the Lord. For what is a voice, Mrs. Ambrose again, for what is a voice but a sound? which is not discerned with the eyes, but perceived with the ear. Truly, with the highest genius, Moses wished to proclaim that the voice of God is seen, for it is seen with the sight of the inner mind. The inner mind, which the Greeks would call the the heart, okay? The, the, The Hebrews called the heart, the Greeks called the mind. In the gospel, not a voice, but the word, capital W, okay, the Logos, Jesus, which is more excellent than a voice, is seen. So in the gospel, he's saying Jesus is seen, not just heard. And here's his last thought, last closing paragraph. You see, therefore, that the word of God, again, Jesus, the word of God, Logos of God, was seen and heard by the apostles. They saw the Lord, not only according to the body, but also according to the word of God, the mind of God. For they, with Moses and Elijah, saw the glory of the word. They who saw him in his glory saw Jesus. Others who could see only the body did not see him. Well, that's a huge statement. Others who could see only the body did not see him. What's he saying? Many people saw Jesus, but they didn't really hear Jesus. They didn't really see him with this last phrase I'm getting it, with their heart. It says here is his last, last phrase for us. Jesus is seen not with the eyes of the body, but with the eyes of the Spirit. Wow. Milan, the Bishop of Milan, St. Ambrose, telling us 1,600 years later, something that Moses knew instinctively by his relationship with the Lord 1,500 years before, 2,000 years before Ambrose, that Jesus is not seen with the eyes of the body only, really, but with the eyes of the Spirit. So, what is Luke telling us in these first four verses, this prologue to his gospel? He's telling us, that he's been very careful. He's been with the apostles almost from the beginning. He's been very careful. He sees 
this big picture that hasn't been told yet and needs to be put down in a very careful, orderly account because what he's going to give is the exact truth. And it's a ministry of the word, not just a set of principles to be believed. And let us never separate those two. Okay? Belief must always issue forth from the heart and change the way we live. Or, or it's, it's not really belief. It's not really faith. Uh, I'm convinced that, I'm just convinced that, um, that for us to make a difference in this world, we really must get that. I think that's what all holiness teaches. I know I'm ordained in a ministry of a church that's called a holiness church. I believe all churches believe in holiness in one form or another. What does it really mean to be a holy people? It means to be transformed from what we believe into what we do and how we live it. Doug, hey, Doug, my friend is, is watching today. Wow, there is a lot there. I want to encourage you today in, in this in this very difficult time, this coronavirus time, this pandemic time, um, I, I, I want to encourage you with with a cup with this thought. Clearly, you probably have faith because you're watching a Bible study online. You could be doing some other things. You're listening to a Bible study, and I hope you're hearing this Bible study with the inner mind of your heart. I'm praying the Holy Spirit of God. I don't ever want this to be about just an exegetical study. I believe in exegetics and hermeneutics. You know, what did it mean then? What does it mean today? What was the Greek? I believe in all of that. I want to do all that. But I don't ever want it to just be a scholarly pursuit. We have to let this word get into our heart and change and transform the way we live. And until it does, until it transforms the way we live, our world will not be transformed. And when we look back in pockets of revival and times when it has, clearly it did those first few centuries, Christianity swept the known world, conquered, conquered the Roman government, if you will, uh, it, because they saw it with the eyes of their heart, with their spirit. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I want to pray. I want to keep a few things in mind. I'm, I get to see your names. You know, the beauty of this, you, you've logged in and I'll be able to see that later I want to thank you. Please feel free to make a comment. If you think about it now, ask a question on the Facebook page. I would love to begin a dialogue. Let's keep this going. Um, I, I want to. I want to let you know. I think I mentioned this last week. You know, I'm doing a lot of. I'm doing a lot of job interviewing right now. I'm trying to. There aren't a lot of jobs to be had right now. But, but those of you who know Brad Riley Ministries is a, is a faith-based nonprofit organization that that we've started. But uh, I have to have other work that helps pay the bills. And I don't know what that work is yet, but I'm trying. Um, and whatever that is, it might, in fact, probably will uh, preclude my being available at 11 a.m. I think I'm, I'm still here for the next few weeks because I don't have anything yet. It takes a little while to get on with something. But uh, uh, if, if indeed it changes, I'll let you know in plenty of time because I want to keep this going. You know, I won't have the 11 a.m. time slot. It might be a 7 p.m. time slot or something. And, and maybe you can even uh, put in uh, comments on the Facebook page of another time that works for you. But uh, the beauty of it is that you can watch the video afterwards. But I love that thought of being live, you know, that, that whole together apart thing that we mentioned earlier. Dallas, thanks for joining us today. Uh, 
what, what a privilege it is to have the freedom to gather together over the internet and do this together from all across the country. That's uh, incredible. It blows my mind. So uh, again, as we kind of close our time today, I just want to thank you for taking time and prioritizing this. And I know not everyone can stay logged in the whole time or whatever, but I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or watch the video. The podcast is at formingthespiritwithin.org or bradreillyministries.org podcast uh, link. And uh, the video's on my Brad Riley Ministries Facebook page. And if you're, if you're able to, again, we, you know, it's totally faith-based ministry. Uh, you know, we can't get out and preach and teach in churches. I, I want to do, uh, do this type of workshop and modeling of the study of Scripture and, and so many things I have to teach. I, I was able to do a little before this whole coronavirus thing shut us down. But, but uh, uh, if, if you're a pastor out there, I know I've got some pastor friends watching. Uh, maybe after this is all over, we can get together and, and do some things together. I'm, I'm excited about that. But if you can support the ministry, God bless you. Thank you. Anything you give, it's 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 a it's an accountable organization. It's a 501c3. It is a charitable contribution. It, it does. It's not there to just line Brad Riley's pockets at all. It's it's to to minister the word as we've been learning today. So God bless you. Thank you for joining in. Let me pray for you as we close this time. Okay, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is joining now this this hour who will join again later and watch this later and who will ever listen to it on the podcast here and around the world. Father God, I thank you for them. They are your child. You love them. You have a plan for them. Yes, you have a plan to see us through this whole pandemic. Let us not live in fear, but let us be people of the word, ministers of the word. So bless us now with the gift of your Holy Spirit May your Holy Spirit interpret this word to our hearts and minds to transform our lives. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for joining in. I will see you again next week. Let's keep the dialogue going, okay? Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry, and I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as he forms his spirit within you.